Hello weekend. Hello, it's John. It is the Y'all Show, where we accentuate what's going on across Dixie. And if you've got a little south in your mouth for the next couple of hours, sit back and enjoy and participate, if you can, on this ride down Southern Lane. Oh, we are quickly running out of days in July, but guess what? Roll that window down. Let those mosquitoes bite you on the arm. Let them other creatures out there, especially at nighttime, the whipperills sing if that's when you're listening to us or maybe early morning dew across the southeast if you're catching us in the morning. It doesn't matter when you listen to the Y'all Show, just as long as y'all listen. We got a very great Friday edition coming your way. We've got headlines from across the south that we'll be walking through. We'll get into that in just a second. Later this first hour, we've got the latest out of Nashville as SEC Media Days wrapped up Thursday down in lower Broadway country of Nashville. And here in this first hour, we're going to hear from the former head coach of the Tennessee Volunteers and the current head coach of the Tennessee Volunteers. As day four featured at the podium, the current coach of the University of Mississippi and the former UT coach, Lane Kiffin. And we're going to hear from Josh Heupel, whose Vols were much improved in 2022 and came oh so close to getting into the college football playoff. We'll have audio from both of those guys coming up this hour in our coverage of SEC Media Days, plus some other sports happenings going on this weekend that we'll have in our sports update this hour. Also this hour, we've got I-C-Y-M-I, in case y'all missed it. And we're going to go all the way back to Monday when our friend and co-host Megan Headwall was on with us. And Megan has taken off for a few days. I'm already seeing her social media post. She's somewhere called, um, what's that place called? Michigan. And before she left us here in the South for a few days on a Yankee vacation, we tried our dangdest to let Miss Megan stay here in the South and have her own Michigan vacation where we say y'all and drink sweet tea, but mm, I don't think she took our advice. So we've got a fun feature. You can hear a portion of our conversation from Monday, and we'll have that later this hour in our I-C-Y-M-I, in case y'all missed it. Hour two today, we've got Paul Hare dropping by. He's with the Hare Financial Group, and we're going to talk to Hare about what's happening. If If we had a hairy week financially, we'll explain as Paul will be dropping by. We'll Get the latest from Wall Street and his thoughts on the economy, fuel prices, politics, and more. Paul Hare, uh, Financial Week recap coming up hour two. Plus, in our second hour today, we've got a look at the new movies hitting theaters. We've got two big ones coming out this weekend, Oppenheimer and Barbie. And we'll let you know a little bit more about each of those two flicks hitting the cinemas across the southeast this weekend. That's our Dixie Cinema. Then hour three today, we're going to start it off with our traditional getting the weekend going song, Party Crown. Then we're going to go to a song that's number one on iTunes this very moment. And you probably have heard about this song this week. It's become a really big story. Try That in a Small Town by Jason Aldean. And we're going to play that song. So a lot of places are talking about the song We're going to play it in hour number three. You're going to get a chance to hear the song in its entirety. It's a great song. It was great before the controversy this week, and it's even better now. 
It's a finger in the eye of wokeness. And here in the South, we're not too woke. And Jason Aldean's tapped into that, the Macon, Georgia native. So we'll have a little bit about the song, the background. We'll tell you about Columbia, Tennessee, where the music video was filmed. We'll tell you more about the historic courthouse that's been a subject of controversy this week. And just fill you in on what's going on with this song. Try that in a small town as it has now become banned at CMT, a place that I once worked. I used to help pick the music videos that went on CMT back in the 90s when country music television was booming. I was fortunate enough to be working right there and having a great job. And I can tell you that we would never have banned (laughs) Try That in a Small Town in 1995 when Jason Aldean was probably four years old. (laughs) But we are going to talk about that song and give you a little bit more of the background. Actually, Jason Aldean did not co-write Try That in a Small Town. There was a host of other writers, and we'll tell you, give them proper credit for a great song that's going to go to the top of the charts. It's already number one on iTunes, but you're going to hear in its entirety, Try That in a Small Town as part of our Friday Free for Y'all to get Hour 3 going today. Plus, we have hashtag Hullabaloo coming in that hour. And we're wrapping it up today with a little Garnet and Black Gamecock talk as Shane Beamer was also at SEC Media Days Day 4 in Nashville. And we're going to go here from the head Gamecock, talk about his team. And one of the great players of his team was alongside him in Nashville on Thursday, and it was the punter. (laughs) So we'll talk about that and have some fun for all the Gamecock fans out there who also had one heck of a season. In fact, the clip today that we're going to pull from Beamer has him talking about those final two regular season victories that his team enjoyed. A huge beatdown of a very good top five Tennessee Vol team. And then they back that up the very next week with a huge and important win in Death Valley against those purple-clad, orange-clad Clemson Tigers. First win by the Gamecocks against Clemson in about seven or eight years. So Shane Beamer is going to be featured in our final hour, and that will wrap it up as From Dixie With Love is going to get us out of here for the week. So that's a great show, I think. I think it is. And the pundits are saying it is, so we we appreciate sincerely you taking time to listen to the Y'all Show on great stations across the South and in podcast options, too. If you would like to text us, our number is 615-208-4184. If you would like to drop us an email, we love getting emails, and that email address for the show is mail at y'all.com. Would love to have you be a part of the program Tell us what's on your mind. Give us suggestions, recipes. If you've got something you want to complain about, we'll take that. We're big boys and girls here at the Y'all Show, so let us hear from you. We we are anticipating your feedback. Let's dive into the headlines here for this hour of the Y'all Show. And we start off today with our headlines coming from North Carolina. As it looks like, we've got another potential Republican running for governor In that state, Andy Wells, a former legislator, is going to jump into the race for the Republican nomination for governor. The current governor, Democrat Governor Roy Cooper, is not able to run next year due to term limits. So the big name on the Democratic side for North Carolina is going to be, it looks like, the current Attorney General Josh Stein. 
So it will likely be Josh Stein, the Democrat. The question is, who's going to be the Republican? And up until Thursday with the announcement that Andy Wells is seeking the GOP nomination for governor in North Carolina, the odds-on favorite is your current lieutenant governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson. And in 2020, in a Republican primary, Robinson bested Andy Wells for the lieutenant governor. And he went on to win the general election. So you've got the current lieutenant governor going up against a possible Republican in the primary. But let's say that Robinson emerges victorious on the Republican side and Stein is the contender from the Democrats. You'll have North Carolina's attorney general going up against its lieutenant governor for the governor of that state in 2024. That's a long time down the road, so we don't want to get too involved with with the what-ifs. But the announcement Andy Wells made Thursday, he is a real estate developer and manager from Hickory, and he now sits on the State Board of Transportation and is well-known in Republican politics. In fact, he was in the House for two years before joining the Senate of North Carolina in 2015 and trying to make a go of it for governor in North Carolina. Elsewhere in our headlines across the Southeast, Tommy Tuberville. He's getting a little love this week from Ron DeSantis, the Republican contender for president. DeSantis has said he supports the Alabama U.S. Senator and his hold on military nominations as DeSantis said the DOD should stand down. That's the Department of Defense. They're currently allowing people to go get abortions on the government dime to to travel, to travel. So Ron DeSantis said the Department of Defense should stand down. We have all these other problems in our military. We need more ammunition. We need more recruiting. We need all these other things, and yet they're focusing on abortion tourism. That from Ron DeSantis about Tommy Tuberville and his decision to hold back the nominations. In fact, the U.S. Senator is blocking the nominations of more than 2,500 military officers currently. A friend of mine just told me that his son is currently up for promotion from major to lieutenant colonel and He hasn't been promoted yet because it's a hold. There's a hold for his Air Force position to be moved up all because of Tommy Tuberville. And I think this guy lives in Alabama. I know he does. He actually is based at, what is the one in Montgomery, Camp uh, Maxwell? Or, or, Or Maxwell Air Force Base? I think that's the one in Montgomery. It's a huge Air Force Base. In fact, another Air Force officer is C.Q. Brown, and he's the Air Force Chief of Staff, and his nomination to be the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, I guess that would be taken over for General Milley. C.Q. Brown is right now being held up. I need to know more about this guy. I remember when the story came out that he would be the Joint Chiefs Chairman. C.Q. Brown is Charles Quentin Brown Jr., and he grew up in Texas. He was born in San Antonio in 1962. 
He graduated from Texas Tech. Guns up, sir. Part of the ROTC outfit there. And he ended up he ended up earning a master's degree in aeronautical science in 1994 from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach. And has served in the United States Air Force since his commission in 1984. He's right at 61 years old. And he will be the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the 21st chairman, succeeding Mark Milley when he gets the nod, which means that he will be a black man in charge as, as the Joint Chiefs of Staff chairman. And then you have the U.S. Secretary of Defense, who is also a black man. And so you'll have two black men leading the country from a military standpoint. And that is, I think, the first time that would ever have happened. Lloyd Austin, of course, is who I'm referencing, is your current Secretary of Defense and one of the highest positions in our government. Lloyd Austin, by the way, if you look at his bio, he was born, oddly enough, in Mobile, Alabama. Born there, raised in Thomasville, Georgia, and he's a West Pointer, graduating from the United States Military Academy in 1975 and has been a commissioned officer since that time and serving in the U.S. Army, rising to the rank of general. He was forced to leave that active duty position when he was chosen to be the 28th U.S. Secretary of Defense back in 2021, Lloyd Austin, four-star general there. But you'll have the combination of Austin and, again, this current Air Force head who will become the Joint, Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman, Chairman upon official nomination out of the U.S. Senate, C.Q. Brown. But Tommy Turville has got something to say about that first. Let's continue with headlines from across the southeast. This is a story that caught our eye here, our staff brought this to me today. After more than a year of historical inflation, grocery prices are actually staying steady, according to reports. Prices fell in March and April for the first time since during the middle of the pandemic, September 2020. The drop earlier this spring was largely fueled by decreases in the egg price. That had risen dramatically in price. Also, the cost of meats, fruits and vegetables, and dairy products have stabilized and in some cases have gone down. Inflation continues to plague shoppers. The overall cost of groceries for the month of June remained up 4.7% from last year. So it's still pretty painful on the bottom line when you're going in. In the South, this is an analysis of Southern states coming in from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And so for the South, grocery prices, it looks like aren't going way up. They're staying steady, according to this report. And that's welcome news. But, man, it would be great to see those prices keep coming down. I don't have enough coupons to make my grocery bill get back to the way it used to be, you know, back in like 2019. (laughs) Oh, the good old days. A video coming out of Chandler, Oklahoma, shows Lincoln County District Judge Tracy Soderstrom in the middle of a trial, by the way, 
going through her social media and texting, and this was in a murder trial. This is a low blow that this happened, that this video comes out on this judge. I'm sure the judge is thinking, where was that camera? But yes, security video obtained by the newspaper out of Oklahoma City, the Oklahoman, shows this district judge in Lincoln County, Oklahoma, Tracy Soderstrom, plainly texting and messaging on her phone for minutes at a time during jury selection, during the opening statements, and also during testimony in the trial for a man who was accused in the beating death of his girlfriend's two-year-old son. At one point, video shows the judge searching for a a GIF, uh, an animated image. The 50-year-old judge can also be seen checking Facebook during the trial in this town 45 miles northeast of Oklahoma City. I hate it for her because I'm sure she's probably been doing this a long time, goofing off on the on the bench as a judge. But honestly, unless you're a judge and, and, and you don't have video, then what are those judges up there doing in the middle of a long trial? Are they in their role of kind of a referee? Do they have to be 100% committed to what's going on at that time? Again, they're kind of a referee. Or is it is it okay to have a lapse in judgment and go look at your phone? Because we live in a world where it's just natural for people to go immediately look for their phone when they're not sitting there doing something active. I went to the hospital Thursday. I was in a waiting room area of a hospital and I saw people of all ages, and this is just this is just the way it is, looking at their phone. And I was right there with them, except when my phone battery got down to 2%, I think it was, I, I shut that bad boy off and hope nobody called me. Because <laughs> I had my phone die on me the other day, and it took longer than it should have for that thing to get fired back up and going. But we're addicted to our phones, and in this case in Oklahoma, this judge, plainly on camera, doing things she probably should not have been doing. I don't know what kind of slap on the wrist she's going to get, but it brings up a point. When you're having, in this case, a murder trial go on, you probably, as both the prosecution and the defense, want a judge that's paying attention at all times. But this likely happens on all levels of the judicial system, state, federal, local courts, and more. I can only imagine how boring (laughs) it might be being a judge sitting on a lot of the cases they have to put up with. Kudos to our judges out there. And I know even before smartphones were out there, they were probably doodling or coming up with other things to pass the time. In this case, this judge cold busted on video on their phone in the middle of a murder trial. We've heard about the cocaine bear. I think that was a movie out of East Tennessee. How about cocaine sharks? In fact, there's something called cocaine sharks that might be a real thing, and they may be feasting on bales of cocaine off of Florida's coast. This is a true story. This is something that you might want to be 
aware of if you're going to be down in South Florida anytime soon because thousands of sharks, according to biologist Tom Hurd, he's a marine biologist, thousands of sharks off of the Sunshine State's coast may have ingested bales of cocaine left in the water by drug smugglers when they were trying to get their product into the country. There's actually a new Discovery Channel Shark Week episode called Cocaine Sharks. <laughs> Might want to check that out. And if these sharks indeed ingested the cocaine that was thrown overboard, it will likely affect them in some way. Large bricks of cocaine from South and Central America have washed ashore on Florida's beaches for decades, but there's been an uptick of those things recently. And so in case in one recent case, a shark grabbed a bale of this cocaine and swam off with it. Sharks getting the cocaine. Now, what are they doing with it? I wonder how cocaine reacts in salt water. Watch out for it, y'all. And if nothing else, literally watch out for this new shark show that you can check out on the Discovery Channel's Shark Week episode, Cocaine Sharks. Must see TV for sure. And that's a look at some of our headlines for hour one of this Y'all Show Friday edition. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we're going to switch over and give you all the fun from day four, the final day of SEC Media Days in Nashville. Lane Kiffin of the Mississippi Landshark Black Bear Rebels. He was at the podium on Thursday. Josh Heupel, head coach of the Rocky Top, Big Orange, Vol for Life, UT, the heck with Alabama, Tennessee Vols. He was at the podium. We're going to hear from both of those coaches when we come back, plus other sports happenings of the day. On this, the show that is all about Southern news, sports, politics, gossip, recipes, travel, and just good Southern conversation. We're the Y'all Show. And if you want to get involved, a reminder, you can drop us an email anytime. Our email address is mail at y'all.com. So hang on. It's all about the red and blue and the orange and white of UT when we come back on our Southern Sports Update. In the shadows of the Grove right now, they're getting all set for the Mercer Bears. That's who the University of Mississippi opens up their 2023 schedule with. Hello, it's the Y'all Show, and we are telling you all about Lane Kiffin, head coach of that UM program, as he was at SEC Media Days on Thursday in Nashville. We've got Josh Heupel, 
a feature on him in a second. He's the head coach of the Vols. But we're going to talk about Kiffin first, as he is the elder statesman, if you will, from Thursday's coaches. At the podium Thursday, talking to members of the media, Kiffin addressed both topics during his opening statement, calling the current state of college football, quote, a disaster. You know what, Lane Kiffin, I I agree with you. He said his comments, uh, he's happy that players can get paid, but said the unintended consequence of the NIL deal is a pay-for-play system where players follow the money in the teams with the deepest pockets, and those are the teams that get the best talent. Well, you know what? In Oxford, I think they got deep pockets there. I really do. Now, maybe not quite as deep as Texas A&M, but how did 2022 work out for the deep-pocket Texas A&M Aggies? They lost to this same Mississippi team. Heck, they lost to Mississippi State. They didn't go to a bowl. It was not a good year for the deep-pocketed Jimbo Fisher Aggies. And then Kiffin didn't hold back on the transfer portal. He said there's what he calls free agency. And this is a guy who, of course, coached the Oakland Raiders at one time. He says that in college football, free agency now exists, except that unlike professional sports, every college player can enter into free agency twice a year with the spring and winter transfer windows. Kiffin added, we've got professional sports, except with no salary cap or luxury tax, and the result is a myriad of issues for coaches. But this is the system now in play, and it, it's either you, you step up and you embrace it and you figure it out, or you wither at the vine. Now, Kiffin had a good team in 2022. He had a team that was for a while looking like they might finally get the University of Mississippi to Atlanta to play for an SEC championship until things got so good right there just off of the Grove, somewhere maybe over there near the circle, they got so good that it started to get to Lane Kiffin. And guess what? He got the phone calls and he got the wooing by the Auburns of the world when they decided to move on from Brian Harson midseason. And I'm going to point the finger, not at NIL deals, but on Lane Kiffin for what happened at the end of the 2022 season in zip code 38677. That would be University of Mississippi. Kiffin got sidetracked by other offers, and he put his team and their success second to his personal goals, and it cost them. There's no reason they should have lost to Arkansas. There's no reason they should have lost to Mississippi State in that final game. Now, that was Mike Leach's final game, period. He died just after that game, and so kudos to MSU for winning that one for Mike Leach. But it still should have been a winnable game. You don't lose the Egg Bowl at home when you're the better team, and they were. But they had a coach who was not focused in on winning. He was focused in on getting a lot of money. So in some cases, Lane Kiffin, I don't want to hear you getting all smart about NIL and transfers and all that. We want you to be locked in. If you're a fan of the Sharks, we want you to be locked in to that program and not hurt your team like you did last year. That's how I feel. And that's how I feel for any coach. It doesn't matter where you're coaching. If you start getting 
flirting, if other teams start looking your way, either tell them to buzz off until the season's over or go ahead and take the job. And, and University of Mississippi fans know this all, all too well because a guy named Tommy Tuberville, he, back in the late 1990s, got flirted by the same Auburn bunch. And guess what? He took, he, he took a bite out of the apple when he told everybody, I ain't leaving here unless it's in a pine box. Old pine box, Tommy Tuberville. And there are still people in the great state of Mississippi that despise Tommy Tuberville, not because he left for Auburn, but the way he left and how it hurt that team. Then they had a guy named Cutcliffe come in there and did pretty good, but didn't get him to the mountaintop. In fact, nobody's got that program to the mountaintop. They need to find a way to bring back Johnny Vault. He got him to the mountaintop, sort of. And I mean, they claim three national championships in Oxford. Some say rightfully. They still don't have an Associated Press national championship in their school history, FYI. It was a different time back in the 50s and 60s when the Johnny Rebs were on the gridiron. But Lane Kiffin, let's go back to Thursday now. Let's rewind back to Thursday. And let's hear from the head coach now. To his credit, he did stick around Oxford. He could have taken off for Auburn. He could have taken off for one of the other jobs that might have opened up in the last season. Heck, he probably could go back to the NFL. But he did take the money that was offered. And he's going to stick around Oxford for at least one more year and keep his whole come-to-the-sip thing going. (laughs) Thursday, he was at the podium, and he talked about a, a question came right out of the gate about some of the problems Tennessee has had the last few days where Tennessee got fined, they're losing scholarships, but they're not getting a bowl ban. And, of course, Kiffin, that one year that he spent in Knoxville, still gets a lot of Tennessee fans <laughs> really upset, so much so that the students throw golf balls and other things at Lane Kiffin when he shows up in Knoxville. He won that game, to his credit, back in 2021, I guess. Lane Kiffin now from Thursday at SEC Media Days in Nashville. Here are his thoughts about Tennessee and their problems and, and more. The dapper man himself, Lane Kiffin. I got a lot of thoughts on that case and the case of USC and the case of Tennessee and the penalties and all that. And I'm not really going to get into that. Um, we're here to talk about the Ole Miss team, you know, Happy for Coach Hypo. I read where he was ecstatic about the penalties and the $8 million fine. So that kind of probably tells you about how severe the penalties are in their eyes. So um, I'm happy for them that they don't have to go through what we went through. Um, so good for them. Coach, we'll go into this middle second just to your right, second row. Lane, hey, Joe Goodman, AL.com. I appreciated your candor on NAL. Um, you're the czar of college football. How do you fix it? And that's the natural follow-up to your State of the Union. Yeah, I don't like, you know, it's like I tell our staff, I don't like you to tell me the problems but not the solution. So um, I feel like that in this one, um, that I don't have the exact solution because it is so complicated. And the commissioner, who's much more educated than I on these things, because I used to say they should be employees so they can have real contracts. So when you come, 
you know, you can sign somebody to a two, three, four-year contract, you know, and um, but th there's way more issues, you know, that solves one problem, I think he said, but then it opens up five, ten more when they're actually employees of a university. So um, I don't have the exact answers. I've always said when asked to shorten the windows, um, so at least we know what your roster is and, and you know, not so, not so many chances for players because really, I mean, I don't, I, like I said, I like the players get paid, but you don't, there's no other system like it. Like the player, I, I've told our players, I've told our, our parents of our significant players, like it is a great time to be a kid or a parent, okay, with where college football is. I'm like, they'll probably eventually fix this, so you will be this one window of a couple years where you literally can leverage your program every window and or you can go into you can go into free agency and find the most money out there and now we're seeing you really get paid three times if you want to you can get paid coming out of high school you can one time transfer go in get the most money get paid again then you can grad transfer and get paid again so eventually you're not going to be able to do that i would think um and have that leverage basically every semester to do that so i've told them it's an awesome time for them yeah, the collective at Ole Miss is one of seven that has formed a collective association, and they plan to introduce a revenue-sharing model in the near future. What are your thoughts on a potential revenue-sharing model for college football players? Yeah, I mean, I think they're, again, almost like everything on this subject, there's good and bad to everything that comes in. Um, I, I think that revenue-sharing, you know, on the surface would be great because players are getting paid and it's coming from the money they're helping make the university but again <clears throat> I kind of try to think things through and the other things that happen when you do something just like when everybody was like oh we got this NIL it's great and then um, you know in this portal it's great oh whoa like and I'm not saying I was the only one saying it. I'm like whoa this is a disaster coming because you just legalized cheating and you just told but donors they can pay the players that's what you did and then you know it's supposed to be set up well it's really for your name image likeness for your marketing again that's not what happened that's not what's happening they're getting paid to go to school so it's paid for play so <clears throat> the revenue sharing sounds really good and but then they're like, okay, well, we're going to revenue share, and then that's all they get. And I said, well, okay, well, wait. But then they're still going to have NIL, which really isn't NIL for probably 99% of the kids. They're not really getting the money for their marketing rights. So then revenue sharing would be good, but then you're still going to have this. So they say, well, revenue sharing would make it an equal playing field, which is what Instable always wants to do, make things equal playing field. Well, obviously, is what we described with no salary cap and everybody operating off a different budgets that's not anywhere close so I don't know that that fixes it it sounds good but then you're still gonna have here's your revenue sharing pot that everybody's the same but then here you're still gonna have all this other money that donors can go give players or the way it is now in some states the school just funnels the money to the players wow that's a lot to unpack from Lane Kevin I gotta give him credit he he took this one and ran with it. And he's telling the truth there. And he essentially said what we all know, the players are getting paid and they're getting paid to basically cheat. It's, 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 it's what the NCAA forever 
cracked down on, and now it's completely upside down. I appreciate his honesty. I'm sure you did too. Lane Kiffin representing the University of Mississippi on Thursday at SEC Media Days. Now Josh Heupel was on stage representing the Big Orange of Tennessee. And let's go now and hear what the coach leading his team into year three has in store high atop Rocky Top, and he looked mighty nifty Thursday in his big orange tie. It is rare that uh, that you're able to keep quarterbacks inside of your quarterback room. The days of having you know four or five quarterbacks consistently, I, I think those are probably not real anymore. Uh, guys want to have the opportunity to play and compete early. Um, I think it's rare that a young man like Joe is able to, to sit back and trust the people around him that we have his best interests at heart, recognize the areas that he can and needs to grow in to become the player that he's capable of, and also know that if I stick this thing out and I compete hard every single day, I'm going to grow, and in what we do offensively, going to be able to do the things that I wanted to inside a college football landscape. Uh, those are rare things, and, and uh, it takes a really mature guy, which Joe has proven to be. Coach, we'll go here right here in the middle of the front row. Coach Brooks Hawson with Dogs Daily. Being an offense that prioritizes pace, I'm curious your thoughts on the new rule change with the clock no longer stopping on first downs. And additionally, there's a potential rule with, you know, the hash marks maybe aligning themselves with the NFL. You also prioritize space. I'm interested in your thoughts on that potential change. Um, the clock rule at the end of the first half, um, I think everybody's going to be playing in it the same way. I don't think it's going to have a dramatic different effect on us versus another offense. Um, the uh, How you manage your timeouts might be a little bit different at the, the end of you know regulation or at the end of the half. Um, all in all, we'll see what the numbers you know play out to be, but you know there's a series of the game that's probably taken away in general for every team you know because of some of the, the clock rules. But we'll see how that plays out uh, during the course of the year. Coach will go in straight in front of me, about three quarters of the way back. Coach uh, Tim Buckley with the Daily Memphian in Memphis. W- what does it mean to the interior of your defense to have Omari Thomas not consider going t- into the draft? And what does his personality bring to your locker room? Uh, Omari is a guy that loves to have fun. He's got great energy, energy every single day. He's become a really strong leader. Um, and being able to command guys, and, and that can be positively. It can be trying to get them to, to go accomplish the things that they need to uh, in the weight room or on the practice field. Uh, he's got a great voice inside of our, our locker room. Uh, as I said, a tremendous leader. Um, vitally important uh, for us as we continue to try to take steps on the defensive side of the football. A year ago, we took a massive, massive jump in our ability to defend the run. Omari and the guys that we brought back a year ago were a huge part of that. Uh, expect all of those guys to make another jump. Uh, they did a great job in spring ball, uh, fundamentals, technique, consistency uh, from play to play, day to day. Um, and, you know, one of the other areas that we've had to improve upon is the ability to affect the passer uh, with our front four, not just bringing pressure. Uh, we need that because of situationally, uh, situational football. we got to get better on third downs, third and long in particular. And uh, I thought those guys did a great job this spring. Uh, Coach Garner, Coach Eckler, what those guys have done up front, uh, really happy and and pleased and excited to get to training camp with them. All right, Josh Heupel, head coach of the Tennessee Vols in Nashville Thursday at SEC Media Days, the final day for Heupel. Congratulations to the UT head coach. He actually has just been nominated to College Football's Hall of Fame. Remember, he was a heck of a quarterback in his own right back around – 
1999-2000 when he was quarterback in the Oklahoma Sooners. And he's going to be counting on a good quarterback for his program in 2023. And you heard him talking about that position and the defensive playmakers he's got on Rocky Top heading into the new season. We're going to hear from Shane Beamer in Hour 3, head coach of the Gamecocks. We'll have that plus other sports headlines, including in our sports coverage today, the Washington Commanders looks like they're going to have a new owner as the NFL unanimously choosing Thursday to go a different route away from Daniel Snyder. We'll have all that info coming your way in our final hour of this y'all show. Hang on. When we come back, we got I-C-Y-M-I in case y'all missed it. My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. kind of song right there from A.J. Allen Jackson, who is not from Michigan. Welcome back. He's a Georgia boy. John Rawl here. And earlier this week, we had Megan Headwall, our co-host, tell us all about she was going to leave us for a couple of days to go up to Michigan, and we did our darndest to keep her here in the South. And here is our I-C-Y-M-I, in case y'all missed it, our conversation with co-host Megan Headwall from earlier in the week, where I came up with a great Michigan vacation for her, and she never had to leave the South. Here's a sample of that conversation. Do you know the biggest town in Michigan, what it's called? Detroit. Yeah, Detroit. Well, how about instead of going to Detroit, Michigan, you could head over to Detroit, Texas. Does that sound like a good trade? <laughs> yeah, definitely over Detroit, Michigan. I wouldn't Detroit, want to go to Texas. Detroit. That is in Red River County. Population slightly less than the one in Michigan. 704 people live in Detroit, Texas. And it has a celebrity connection. As Detroit, Texas is the home of one John Nance Garner. I know you learned all about him growing up. (laughs) No, not really. (laughs) He was the 32nd vice president of the United States. John Mm -hmm. Nance Garner, who served as FDR's vice president. In fact, I didn't know this. See, you learn so much here on the Y'all Show. He was (laughs) vice president for two different terms of FDR from when he first got elected in 1932. So he served in 1933. He served all the way up to January of 1941. This man from Detroit, Texas. And he lived until 1967, so it wasn't because he was in ill health that he had to leave the office. FDR switched out 
running mates with Henry A. Wallace in the 1940 election, I guess it would have been. And then in 1944, of course, Harry Truman was his running mate. But John Nance Garner, also known as Cactus Jack, the vice president of the United States back in FDR's first couple of years in office, and he was from Detroit, Texas, that is. All right, hope you all enjoyed that again. That was Megan and and yours truly having some fun. And we talked about Detroit, Alabama as another place. There's a Lansing in North Carolina that we discuss. Go back and find the podcast of that if you get a chance. It's available on all of our different podcast options. And you can find the Y'all Show podcast also at y'all.com. So check it out. A good Michigan vacation awaits. And you don't even have to leave Dixie. That wraps up this hour of our conversation about the South. Hang on. When we come back, we got Paul Hare lined up and coming at you in hour two. It's our financial week recap with Paul. Plus, we've got a listing of the new movies hitting theaters this weekend. All right here on the show that shakes the Southland, The Y'all Show. Hello there. Another hour of our discussion about everything Southern is upon us. This is hour two of this Friday conversation about Dixie that we call the Y'all Show. The General of the South, John Rawl, welcoming you in, my fellow Southern generals, to this Dixie Dialogue. We've got a very active show. We're going to take a break away this hour, a break away from SEC football media talk. As we heard in our first hour Lane Kiffin and Josh Heupel, the coaches of both the University of Mississippi and University of Tennessee. Hour three today, we're going to hear from the the head Gamecock as Shane Beamer was at the microphone Thursday in Nashville. And we'll hear from the head Gamecock. Beamer ball will be focused in our third hour. This hour, instead of talking SEC football, we're going to talk about the sport of making money as Paul Hare of the Hare Financial Group will be back with us and we'll look back at the week on Wall Street and how mutual funds are going and other things business-related. Paul Hare dropping by for his very, very knowledgeable report coming up in the next segment. Before the hour is up, we're going to tell you all about the new movies hitting theaters this weekend. We've got two big ones, Oppenheimer and Barbie making their debut this weekend. So we'll have plenty of film talk before we say goodbye to hour two. If you want to get involved with this show, it's easy to do so. All you've got to do is pick up that telephone and text 615-208-4184. By doing that, you will be able to text us, and we will get that whether you're listening to us right now on one of our great radio stations or If you are listening to our podcast, it doesn't matter what time of day, you can text that number and we'll get it, 615-208-4184. Then we always have our email address available for you. 
That's M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. Mail at Y-A-L-L dot com. Again, we appreciate everybody taking the time out to catch up with what's going on across the South as we broadcast, again, not just on great stations, but in podcast form as well. We start this hour of news headlines with more on that story right on the border with Mexico. McAllen, Texas, in that area, really just across the Rio Grande from McAllen, volunteers have now found 27 bodies that have been been hacked up in a burial site near McAllen, over in Reynosa. That's the border city with McAllen. 27 corpses in clandestine graves, and they've been hacked to pieces, according to volunteer searchers. Some of the corpses were buried so recently that bits of skin with tattoos remained. This is just sickening. Sickening that any human being could do such a thing. And why? Why would they do it? This is likely cartel-related. This is another example of how, as much as we want to feel for our friends to the south of us, Mexico, things like this, so inhumane, so animalistic, so devilish, make you want to build that border wall even more. In many ways, Mexico truly is a fourth world country. Now, we're not a first world country in a lot of ways. We act like a second world country sometimes. But my goodness, what a difference Mexico is compared to, let's say, Canada and the things that go on north of us as compared to what goes on south of this country. Volunteers, again, finding 27 hacked-up bodies right across from McAllen, Texas. Probably people searching for a new life in America, of which, again, as a conservative, as a proud American We want people to come to our country. Immigration is a part of the American fabric. But you do it legally. You don't do it by crossing the border illegally. And therefore, because of illegal crossings, you have these coyotes that have these groups of people. And I'm assuming that's more than likely what this was there right across the border. And people get taken for granted they get their money that they come from other countries like in south and central america and they give these coyotes tens of thousands of dollars to try to make a successful cross into the united states and often they get saddled up with drugs that they have to carry across as part of their fine if you will to make that dangerous journey northward. And we see now that an unfortunate and and just grisly discovery of 27 people in another case of Mexico acting like a completely unhuman country. What are they going to do about it? What is the Mexican government going to do to find Who's responsible? Are they going to ever crack down on the cartels? Did the cartels have such a hold on that country 
that that's why we've grown further apart. Two partners, if you will, two countries that have such a long history, side by side, they wouldn't be able to make it as a country, in my opinion, without the United States. And that's been the case a long time. But things like this are a real wake-up call. Update out of Bowling Green, Kentucky. Recently, a Bowling Green police officer, an Adairsville, or Adairsville, Kentucky native, Matt Davis, was shot in the line of duty. He's now fighting for his life. We have an update out of Bowling Green, according to the city manager of that western Kentucky city. He's now out of the ICU. He's steadily improving and going through rehabilitation on his legs after being shot in both femurs. The officer, Matt Davis, has had several surgeries to repair his injuries after being shot eight times. He's still got a bullet lodged in his neck next to his carotid artery, and there's a bullet lodged near his spine. Very long road ahead of him. The Kentucky State Police is the lead investigator on this thing. Bowling Green Police Department asking for love and support for the Davis family. Again, this man, an Adairville, Kentucky native. Just an unfortunate, unfortunate shooting that happened back on July 6th in Bowling Green when he went on a call and ended up being shot this many times. He was actually selected Officer of the Year back in 2008 and had been on the force there in Bowling Green a long time. But again, it looks like he is making a very slight improvement, and that's wonderful news. We wish all the best for Bowling Green, Kentucky Officer Matt Davis as he fights for his life now and is out of the intensive care unit. That's that's good news for this officer shot in the line of duty. More headlines from across the South here on this Friday edition of Y'all. We go to North Carolina, and how about this blast from the past? Former North Carolina legislator Andy Wells just announced Thursday that he's going to seek the Republican nomination for governor in 2024. And he's a name that North Carolinians just might be familiar with. He's a real estate developer and a manager from Hickory, North Carolina, who sits on the State Board of Transportation. And he ran in the 2020 Republican primary for lieutenant governor. He lost that race to the current lieutenant governor, Mark Robinson, who himself is running for governor right now. And so this sets up a potential rematch that in 2020 was for the lieutenant governor. And now these two same guys, and and maybe there'll be others jumping into this race too, that will try to run for governor of the state of North Carolina. You got Governor Cooper there now, a Democrat, and so Republicans are trying to put their best foot forward and take that seat in Raleigh back. It's been Democrat now, I think, for two terms in a row. Remember, North Carolina flipped its chief executive position after the ruckus in Charlotte over the bathroom usage of was it transgendered people going to the bathrooms way back in like 2016 or something like that? And the NBA 
move the all-star game out of Charlotte for what North Carolina was doing. Silly, silly, silly. But that caused such a ruckus that ended end up ended up getting a Democrat elected governor of that state. And Governor Cooper, if indeed he he can't run, uh, he is term limited. Governor Cooper is 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 off the table. So we'll see who is going to go on the Democratic side. It looks like other names. Running could be the state treasurer, Dale Folwell, and former Congressman Mark Walker. Attorney General Josh Stein, by the way, is the only Democrat currently in the race, and I bet you he'll be the nominee on the Democratic side, at least, in 2024 for North Carolina's governor. Let's bring you back to some national political stuff, and that's what we're going to talk about now in terms of U.S. Senator Tommy Tuberville. We haven't mentioned his name in the last few days. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis, who's running for president, has actually shown support for Tommy Tuberville. DeSantis said the Defense Department should stand down its policy of paid leave to service members that seek an abortion. DeSantis says he supports Tommy Tuberville's hold on military nominations adding the DOD should stand down. We have all these other problems in our military. We need more ammunition. We need more recruiting. We need all these other things, and yet they're focusing on abortion tourism. That, from Ron DeSantis, in support of Tommy Tuberville. Tommy Tuberville the former football coach turned U.S. Senator is currently blocking the nominations of more than 2,500 military officers. Included in that is the chief of staff of the Air Force, C.Q. Brown. That's President Biden's nominee for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. C.Q. Brown. Going to have to wait on the sidelines for Tommy Tuberville. Earlier this week, the U.S. Senator from Alabama He sent a letter to Senate leaders, he said, was signed by more than 5,000 veterans who support his hold on military nominees over the whole abortion issue that evidently the military is allowing its service members to go have paid time away to go get an abortion. What did I just get sent to me Thursday? I had someone send me a text about the military, and this is totally a screenshot. I hope it's real. It's coming from Newsmax, so consider the source. But this friend of mine sent this to me. It's a headline from Newsmax credited to the dossier. Must be some kind of online publication. But the headline reads, Confidential Biden Department of Defense Memo Reveals Transgender service members can skip deployments and receive indefinite physical fitness standards waivers. I do not have that as a verified piece of information, but if true, that is pathetic. According to this press release, if you will, or news story coming from something called the dossier. 
A leaked Biden Department of Defense memo reveals transgender service members can skip deployments. Okay, so I'm going to all of a sudden decide I'm going to skip, uh, change my gender, and therefore I don't have to go to war. I don't have to go spend six months on deployment in Hawaii. I can stay in San Diego if I choose to because I'm transgender, if this is true. And also it says they can receive indefinite physical fitness standards waivers. I don't think I want to do push-ups today because I'm transgender. If that's if that's actually the case, that is another example of why this military that we currently have, and God bless you if you're in the military, you're probably sitting there looking at, and hearing me talk about this stuff, shaking your head as well. But is the Chinese military worried about this kind of wokeness? Are they laughing all the way to the battleship that they're going to get on and come over here and pound us one day and force us to become new Shanghai if that's what they wanted to do. I mean, we're not going to be able to stop them, not with the way we go and work our military leadership policies the way that it appears that it's being worked in the Biden-Harris administration. I hope that's not true. <laughs> I, I really hope that is a what they call in Trump world fake news, everybody. When we come back, our buddy Paul Hare of the Hare Financial Group will be dropping by, and we'll get a little bit of a recap of what's been happening on Wall Street from Paul. And before the hour is up, Dixie Cinema is going to come your way, and we're going to look at the new movies hitting theaters this weekend, Oppenheimer as well as the new Barbie film. Both of these are big-budget films. One of them is three hours in length. Could you sit there and look at a Barbie movie for three hours? Guess what? You don't have to because it's Oppenheimer <laughs> that's three hours long. We'll tell you all about these films and more in our co- continuing coverage of the Y'all Show, hour number two. Mail at y'all.com is our email address. And guess what? We want to hear... From all y'all, mail at y'all.com. We'll be right back. We want to hear you here at Super Talk 93.1 on shows like The Y'all Show, The Patriot Pastor, and The Frankie Lack Show. We've got a text line that you can text us and participate in the program. That number is 731-410-7560. And the Super Talk 93.1 text line is powered by See Me Tree Service. They are a West Tennessee-based company. And they will help you with any of your tree removal problems, tree trimming, tree elevation, pruning, tree topping, stump grinding, and more. They're a small family-owned business that's licensed and insured, and you can call See Me Tree Service for a free estimate. Call them at 731-617-2236. See Me Tree Service. For all of your tree removal or tree issues going on, give them a call for that free estimate. 731-617-2236. 731-617-2236. See me, Tree Service, powering the Super Talk 93.1 text line. It's Friday night, baby. 
Tell them about it, John. We're back on the Y'all Show, wrapping things up for this week in July. And we're going to turn our attention to making some money and hopefully keeping your money. We've got Paul Hare of the Hare Financial Group on with us to help us wrap up the week on Wall Street and so much more. Hopefully your financial week has been going good, Paul. It's been going good. We've had some really good runs on the market upward that is i mean things are going well and uh we're looking at well tomorrow's probably going to be where you'll watch some people take some profit off the table but overall the economic picture is looking good as far as earnings netflix had uh, is going to post a bigger earnings in a larger subscription number because they've really cracked down on this password sharing and so that's going to be some changes there. Uh, tech is taking a hit, of course. Uh, whenever interest rates go up, tech goes down. And so we're probably seeing some more uh, of that. We're kind of hoping that uh, we'll see another pause in the interest rate hike. But they are predicting two more 25 basis point increases uh, before the end of the year. So yeah, we were hopefully somewhere in there, there'll be a pause, but we are probably looking at a total of a 50 point base in, uh, basis increase by the end of the year. So now Paul, you specifically called out Netflix here. Are, are we, mm-hmm. are we used to seeing a, a powerful app, a, a, a service really, uh, a, a, something frivolous, frankly, that most people have as a, 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 an, a an unnecessary, they can live without an expense. Something like that has a big pull on the economy. Well, it can. Well, it increases their stock, not so much a pull on the economy, but uh, their stock price is going to go up because they are uh, really stopping the password sharing. Giving an example, uh, let's say, for instance, uh, you 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 have your password and you sign up as a single instead of a family subscription but then you have a child that's off in college and uh, you pass his password you're giving your password but you're only paying for a single subscription that's how they're catching it there's finding out where people are logging in and if you got somebody logging in in jackson tennessee and then say somebody in Knoxville or uh, Auburn or, you know, Auburn, Alabama, or even Tuscaloosa, they're going to say, wait a minute, we've got two people logging in in two different cities. They're figuring out that there's a password sharing. And so they're cracking down on that. And really what it does is it boosts the numbers, which makes it look better for advertisers and uh, revenue does go up because, you know, you go from a single subscription to a family subscription. It just makes it easier. Paul, I have a dirty confession. I'm one of those people that eh, may or may not be stealing Netflix from other accounts. <laughs> oh, 
Okay. You sure you want to broadcast that? I, I said Netflix I, 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 on you? I don't care. I hardly watch it anyway. <laughs> but if, if they're well, just now figuring it out, I, I think Netflix has done good enough. Look, I'm I'm old enough to go back to the days where you used to sign up and get like one DVD mailed to you from Netflix. So they, they ought to oh, be yeah. a little bit sympathetic to people, old fogies like me. There you go. Well, you know, I was going to make a joke that the Netflix police is worse than the phone police that Dr. Johnny Fever worried about on WKRP in Cincinnati. So hmm. that's how long I go back. Yeah. So it was, I'll tell you what, back in the day where you got the little thing mailed to you, that was exciting. I'll, I'll oh, Columbia that. music, Columbia music company. Oh no, yeah. No, I'm talking about Netflix when they first got started. Oh, Netflix. Okay. They first yeah. started as a thing that you got, uh, you went online and picked movies and like a week later they came and then you sent them back. And I, I, I mean, Oh yeah. I, I, that, that made many a Friday and Saturday night for me after Blockbuster went out of business. Oh, yeah. By the way, how their, <laughs> how's their stock these days? Uh, I, uh, I I would definitely call them a penny stock. Okay. I would definitely call hey, them a penny while stock. While we're talking about crazy stocks, if you don't mind, let me ask you about a stock that just came available this week. And should we get Paul Hare's approval to do something? The Atlanta Braves are now a publicly traded company. You can actually buy the Braves. Is is that a good investment? Well, uh, you know, depends on if it uh, if you're a Braves fan. You know, I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan, but you know they usually say don't let your money have emotion. Uh, you know, I don't know how much the stock's selling for, but yeah, I mean that'd be kind of cool to say I'm part owner in a professional team uh but i wouldn't you know i would look at it and see just how much they're offering what is the price you know again we talked about capitalization you know what is the uh capitalization of the braves is based on a public traded company is based on the number of outstanding shares times the stock price Mm -hmm. so you know how much they're going to be offering out and all that you know, the Dallas Cowboys would be a good one to buy. Uh, so would be. Uh, no, uh, Jerry Jones will never do that, I guarantee you. But, you know, um, it would be a nice novelty to have. You never know. It could hit. But, uh, you know, if you've got money that's just in your pocket to burn, it wouldn't be a bad buy, I guess, you know. Newsflash, uh, if you're a baseball fan, you can actually split your investments into the two leagues because the Braves are your brand new offer that's available for the National League. Did you realize the Toronto Blue Jays are also publicly traded? So they are a public. I knew they were a publicly traded company. So, uh, but there again, should uh, if you're a true baseball guy, you know the designated hitter. Do you buy in the AL or do you buy in the NL? You well, know? they got rid of that so, this year. Yeah, I know. I've I, I've I've kind of. Uh, gotten out of watching baseball uh the reds haven't done anything in 32 years well, so maybe you need to start yeah. watching because the reds have been atop the nl central hello yeah hello but you know what they always have a way to crash and burn so well, there you go okay well then get involved with the braves just from a financial standpoint or the blue there, jays or the blue jays there you go well i'll tell you what what we're probably going to see and this is something that will affect the economy um is going to be uh, the elections coming up next year, the 2024. 
uh, we're seeing now some uh, some of the ramifications of the oil. We're seeing prices go down. Why are the prices going down? The dollar's getting weaker. And supply, they are going to cut back. People aren't as traveling as much. But then there again, you've got problems with the airlines. The cost of tickets are going through the roof and making air travel not as as, as uh, cost effective. So it's you know kind of the paradox we've got going on. So who, if you're going to travel, drive a car, you know, but <laughs> don't hop an airplane. But there again, if you're going across country, I don't know uh, how economic uh, how economically it'd be to drive, you know, over 600 miles. Then you then you're getting into what the cost of a ticket would be. So, Paul, I'm sure you're quite a few years younger than me, so you might not appreciate my old foginess. But since we were just talking about the Braves and money, two years ago I went and saw the Braves in Atlanta, and it was the first time. <clears throat> that I'd been to a major league ballpark since uh, COVID happened. And, <clears throat> and it was really the first professional sporting event I'd been to. And me being the old fogey of which you would have no clue about, I like to use, <laughs> I like to use cold, hard cash. And it was when I was, uh-huh. at, when I was at Truist Park, it was the first time that no cash allowed anywhere. When you went to the concession stand, it was all debit card. When you went and did this, it was all debit card. And right. and I just really still like cash. So kind of a little bit of an unusual question. Are we at a point now that cash is going to get even harder to to use? I, I, some of it is trending that way, but there again, I do not think we'll go to a cashless society. And I do not think uh, Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency will become the worldwide currency. And I'll tell you, that means the United States has to give up their economic power as the U.S. dollar is the world reserve. And I don't think anybody will do that. Uh, I don't think China will force it because they don't want to bankrupt their number one customer. But uh, what I do and what my family does when we travel, we get those, uh, uh, go to the bank and get those cards where you load them up, Mm -hmm. you know, and we'll do that and just keep the debit cards stuck in either at the house or, uh, or the, uh, put it out in the um, uh, car, just log it up somewhere uh, and it's, uh, you know, you can go another thing, uh, we do, I think we'll go to a totally cashless society. No, but I think, uh, you'll probably see eventually maybe 35% of the retailers will go, no, will go, uh, where you use debit cards or some kind of prepaid card and, uh, go with that. So, you know, i but as far as totally cashless, no, I do not see uh, the United States doing that. Well, now, I, maybe a foreign brought, country will, but I don't think we will. I brought that up because for many people, they might still be on a summer vacation. And all of these COVID things kicking in all of a sudden made mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of stuff get altered, including the easily available way to pay cash for things. And I right. again, I like to hide my money, Paul. Yeah, well, you know, uh, hiding it, I don't know. But, I mean, I just don't see uh, us going to a cashless society. It's just, I don't, 
I do not. Hopefully, we have smart enough um, representatives and leaders that will not vote us going to uh, totally cashless because then that's when we start losing our economic power. We're talking with Paul Hare, Hare Financial Group. His number is 731-664-0047. The Hare Financial Group is an insurance and investment agency, and you can give them a call to find out perhaps how Paul can come in and help you. As he said before, don't bring your checkbook that first time. He's going to sit there and talk and figure out more about what your needs and concerns are. And he's looking out for you in the long run. You want to be sitting there 50 years from now looking out over your 5,000-acre backyard and saying, man, thank goodness for that guy. I forgot his name, but, boy, he was good. Well, this is the this is the uh, hair that will tell you you don't try to win – you don't try to win the race with speed. You win it with consistency. Ah. So, All right. You know, I, I, I will beat the tortoise. Trust me. So. All right. Paul Hare, Hare Financial Group. So this last week has been a, a good one, you said, on Wall Street. What are we expecting now as we're kind of turning our attention to the month of August in a few days? Well, my, August is, uh, again, August has started kind of, kind of a lull period. September, first half of September will be, and then we'll start getting kicked off for the Christmas and holiday season. So I think um, we'll probably see August depending, it really depends on the Fed and how they act. Do we get the quarter point or do we get the, the, the uh, pause? If we get the pause, then I think what's going to happen is you're going to watch a lot of people pull back because we've tried to price in the uh, rate increase, but how far they'll pull back is, uh, I think you'll see a, another correction of 2 to 3% pullback, and then uh, we'll get ready for the, the, the Christmas and holiday season, and then 2024 is going to be the make or break. Paul, one That'll of the, be the make or break. Paul, one of the storylines here the last month has been the tremendous weather issues we've had especially heat not just here in the south but they've had their share of bad bad temperatures out west and more how much is that affecting the economy right now well that affects a lot because it puts a strain on our grid system whether you're uh, you know hydropower solar power coal power nuclear power what natural gas power that puts a strain on our system uh, it also puts a strain on the uh, economy as far as fuel cost, because there again, as you run your air conditioner in your car, it consumes more fuel, which means you buy more gas, which, you know. Uh, but overall, it's going to affect the utilities. The major part is what we'll see, because their costs will go up. You'll see more demand on TVA and other uh, hydropower plants and uh, grid systems, so... Yeah, uh, that. Now, not only that, but like where I'm from, Mayfield, Kentucky, uh, they just had a major flood there. I mean, Mayfield two years ago went through the worst tornado in their history, and now they've gone through the worst flood in their history. And uh, we're seeing flooding all in western Kentucky, Vermont, other areas. So this is a major issue, and that creates problems. Paul, does Mayfield have a river that runs through its downtown? No, it's got a creek, Red Duck Creek, huh. and that's what overflowed. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but when you get 
almost 12 inches of water in 24 hours. Uh, there's, I don't care if you, you know, there's nowhere for it to go. Yeah. And it just flooded the whole, whole uh, downtown area, which was already devastated by the tornado. So, And Governor uh, Bashir this week issuing a state of emergency there for Mayfield in western Kentucky where that awful flooding has happened this week. Yeah. And, and how do you deal with your customers, your clients, when they have problems with their home or they lose things because of natural disasters? What, what is your insurance plan for them? All right now, I don't do property and casualty. I don't handle that part. Um, uh, I first of all, I've, when I'm working with a client and they recommend, you know, they ask questions like that, I'll give them the name of three good uh, agents, and I'll recommend. I always tell them, you know, I'm, I recommend get an umbrella policy uh, in our area. I recommend that you get earthquake insurance on your homeowners. Uh, I would make sure that you've got. Uh, everything covered in that aspect, but as far as natural disasters, uh, if, if they've worked with one of the three I've recommended, uh, I guarantee you they've got the coverage they need to, for whatever disaster hits. Um, you know, I, I always tell people, some people think I'm overinsured, but uh, I can tell you this right now, uh, I've never had a problem when a disaster's come up. And uh, the company I have, uh, they've stood behind me through thick and thin 35 years. So I'll continue to use them. I'm more about coverage than I am about price. And it's also important to have not just insurance, but enough money out there and accounts that you can go and tap into when you need it. And that's why you might need someone like Paul Hare and the Hare Financial Group, an investment agency at your side. There you go. And I always recommend... You know, uh, make sure that if you own your deductibles, whether it's uh, homeowners, car, whatever, have uh, at least in an account two times your deductible just to make sure you've got everything covered. Paul, this week we mark the anniversary of the lunar landing, 1969. Do you think you would have helped draft an insurance policy for that mission? Well, I'll tell you what. (laughs) That would have been interesting. I'd have loved to seen the life insurance premium on <laughs> on those guys, you know. But uh, and and you say I may not be your age. Well, let me tell you this right now. I was sitting uh, in class watching it happen. So uh, I was born in the early sixties. So, so you were sitting in class. I see. I don't even know. So when they were walking on the moon, what time of day was that here back on Earth? Oh gosh, that was probably around eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock. I don't remember. Around I remember time. Yeah, I think it was. You got to remember that was good board. Nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, sixty nine. So just just a few that years was a while ago. Back. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a few years well, ago. On TV, it's all like nighttime looking up there, but I I didn't realize yeah. what time it was here back on Earth. But yeah. it was it was nighttime at other places on Earth. I I think. <laughs> yeah, it was. It pretty, I'm pretty sure it was. <laughs> hey, Paul, always great to talk to you. You have a great weekend, sir, and we look forward to talking more financial talk with you next week. Paul Hare, Hare Financial Group, 731-664-0047. That's the number to call. He'll help you out. He'll answer your questions. He'll sit down and walk through a plan with all that you've all got right, going remember, on. All right, remember, I'm part of Securities America, SIPC. S-I-P-C in the house, Paul. There you go. All right, have a great weekend, sir.
You too. Take care. More of the Y'all Show is coming up, so don't miss out on the fun. When we return, we've got a look at the new movies hitting theaters, Oppenheimer and Barbie. That talk coming up next. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. can still shut down a party I can hang with anybody I can drink whiskey and red wine Champagne all night Little scotch on the rocks and I'm fine, I'm fine But when I taste tequila Baby, I still see ya Cutting up the floor in a sorority t-shirt Tequila is going to be a recurring theme here as we get ready for the weekend. A lot of you have maybe got some of that plan to crack open at some point during this summer weekend. If you do, drink responsibly. We're the Y'all Show, and if you uh, have other things besides tequila on your mind this weekend, you, you might have going to the movie theater as an option here on this hopefully beautiful weekend in store. And there are two brand new releases that are Rather big releases coming out this weekend. The first is the adventure comedy Barbie. Barbie suffers a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence. This is a Greta Gerwig directed film that's got Margot Robbie. Uh, Robbie Margot Robbie, I think's her name. I think is she is a Australian actress, if I'm not mistaken. Issa Rae, Kate McKinnon, and Alexandra Ship all star in Barbie. Nearly a two-hour film that's going to make its debut this weekend at box offices across the South. And the other film, I'm looking forward to going to see this one because anything historic has a big, big interest for yours truly. And opening this weekend is the film Oppenheimer. The story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. We're getting ready to have, in August, the anniversary of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombing in Japan back in 1945. And Robert Oppenheimer, the scientist behind that atomic bomb, he and his crew there at Los Alamos in New Mexico that detonated that thing before it was put on planes and the Enola Gay dropping that over Japan, bringing to an end, that devastating conflict, the Second World War. And Oppenheimer out this weekend. This is a Christopher Nolan-directed film. It stars Cillian Murphy. I believe he is an Irish actor. Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, and Robert Downey Jr., all starring in Oppenheimer. It's a three-hour movie. So if you 
<laughs> if you've got some time on your hands, you can go check this one out. I wonder if it has an intermission. I'm thinking back to movies that I've gone to see through the years that had an actual intermission. And to my knowledge, the only one I can come up with easily is Gandhi. I remember going to see Gandhi as a youngster, and it had an intermission. I think intermissions were a big deal way back in the day when they had to have the films split apart because they were on different reels. But in this digital world we live in, it's not necessary to have an intermission except for some of you out there like me, and I'm in this group, can't hold it for an hour and or 180 minutes, three hours. So we need that intermission. But Oppenheimer, out this weekend, the story of scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer. And I'm going to try to pull up. I don't know where Robert Oppenheimer grew up, the theoretical physicist credited with the atomic bomb. He was born in New York and died in Princeton, New Jersey in 1967. And I'm trying to see if he had any connection to the South as he studied in Europe after he got his Ivy League education. He got a degree at Harvard before going over to the University of Göttingen, which is in Germany, I think. Or is that in, yeah, Göttingen, Germany is where he studied way back in the early part of the 20th century before working on his scientific work and ultimately helping to develop the world's first atomic bomb. Robert Oppenheimer, this new movie out this weekend. Oppenheimer died in Princeton at the age of 62. He lived to be 62, dying in 1967, born back in 1904. And you can learn a lot more about this American theoretical physicist and director of the Los Alamos Laboratory during World War II when you go see the new film Oppenheimer opening this weekend. And don't forget other films that are still out there, definitely worth checking out, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, it's out there, Insidious is available, and let's not forget about Indiana Jones and The Dial of Destiny that's only been out about two weeks now, and Sound of Freedom, the Jim Caviezel film, the incredible true story of a former government agent turned vigilante who embarks on a dangerous mission to rescue hundreds of children from sex traffickers. And that film still doing quite well at the box office, despite many people thinking it would never get the light of day because of its conservative bent, if you will, Sound of Freedom. So go check out a great movie if you get the opportunity. That wraps up. This hour of y'all, when we come back in hour three, we're going to kick it off with the Friday Free For Y'all, and we're going to play the most popular song in America. At least it's number one on iTunes, and it's that for a reason. That new Jason Aldean song that's getting a lot of attention. We're going to play it for you as part of our Friday Free For Y'all, and we'll get that on the air after this break. The weekend is here, y'all. Get ready for a little party. It's our Friday free for y'all on the show, powered by y'all.com. Let's hear you sing now. She couldn't keep from crying when she told me goodbye. But I knew the Lord, it was breaking her heart, but she was breaking mine. 
program that is all southern john rawl is my name i am the general of all things southern and i welcome you into our southern army as we get you ready for this great weekend we're kind of wrapping up the month of july this weekend and why don't you just join me here for the next couple of seconds and sing along the party crowd okay where the smoke's so thick the blues can't hang around. It's okay if you are terrible at singing like I am. That's just fine. Just don't care if they're dancing over here or fighting over there. I'm making the rounds and looking for a party crowd. Oh, here we go. Here we go. For a party crowd. Slamming them back. And laughing out loud where the smoke's so big, the blues can't hang around. Okay, I lied. One more time. Jumping like it just don't care if they're dancing over here or fighting over there. I'm making the rounds and looking for a party crowd. All right, it is the weekend, and that is our official kickoff song for the weekend. And we love having this tradition when we get to this spot on our Friday end of the week, what we call our Friday Free For Y'all on this show that's powered by y'all.com. It's been a great week for, I hope, most of you out there. I've had a great week. Good to see some of you out there. Good to pick up our new listeners and our new followers and more. It's just so awesome to talk about the South. And hopefully it's awesome for you to hear about the South. And we want you to participate in our discussion on Dixie. You can email us here anytime, mail, M-A-I-L, at y'all.com. Well, one of the things that happened this week 
and we in there in the Friday free for y'all, most of the times we have this section of our show on Friday. It's more of a historic thing. I talk about something in history that happened or some kind of musical connection that has is going on this week in history in the South and more. We got some real modern current history for our Friday free for y'all today. So a little bit of history of my own self before we get into the focus of what we're talking about today. So in 1993, I got out of college and I went to Nashville, Tennessee without a job. I was fresh out of college with my undergraduate degree and I had my sights set on going to Nashville to take over for Ralph Emery. That was my goal. Ralph Emery, you might remember him. He was a fixture on the Nashville network, TNN, for many years prior to being on the Nashville network in his cable nighttime show. He was a fixture on Nashville television as he had the top-rated morning show called AM Nashville that ran for decades. And so I moved to Nashville trying to be the next Ralph Emery. And that hasn't happened yet, y'all. But I'm working on it. I'm still working on it. But I had the incredible luck that moving to Nashville without a job in May of 1993, within a month of me moving without a job, without a place to live, I moved with a guy that I graduated college from. He wanted to go to Nashville and become a country music singer. I'll tell you about him maybe in a second. But as for me, I wanted to... I wanted to be Ralph Emery. So what did I do? I went out to the Opryland where the Nashville network was located and I applied for a job and lo and behold, I got called in and lo and behold, I actually got hired within a month of moving to Nashville at the Nashville network right across the parking lot where Ralph Emery worked. And just my luck, as soon as I started working there, Ralph Emery announced his retirement. His show ended I think two weeks after I started working there. So I never really had a chance to meet him at that time. But I got to meet a lot of people and work with a lot of people who worked on that show. And then the successor to that program was the Crook and Chase hosted Music City Tonight. Then Tom Wopad had a show on. Then Gary Chapman. And one thing led to another. I was working at TNN, the National Network. That was my first job. And then after a year, I moved down the hall to sister network, CMT, Country Music Television. A guy named Dirks Bentley actually came in and kind of helped take over the job that I left behind at TNN. I didn't care about that guy. I didn't care about TNN. I was moving on to CMT. So the job I got at CMT, not bad for a 23-year-old. I got a job at CMT helping select the music videos that went on the channel. I was part of the programming committee. I helped program the, the programming on CMT. Me and four other people were part of the committee. And it was a cush-cush job in 1994, 95, and 96 when I had that job. Loved it. I just wasn't on the air. And again, my goal was to be Ralph Emery. So although I had this awesome job working right there on Music Row and meeting all the stars, heck, the, the stars would come take me to lunch. Pretty cool. And there were lots of stars back in those time, those times when they were selling million records all the time and having album releases. I would get invited to a party every night of the week, and I could go. If I were a drunk, I would have had a great time because they were all 
filled with alcohol and good-looking women and just good times. But I didn't really have a, a woman at the time, and I'm not really an alcoholic, and I don't do the other fun stuff that a lot of people do. So I made it, though. I survived. But ended up working at CMT, and I'm very proud of my time working for Gaylord Entertainment, both at TNN and CMT. But in the end, I left CMT to go take a job with the Crook and Chase group and started being a country music entertainment reporter for them back in the late 90s. And then one thing led to another, and I ended up leaving Nashville by the end of that decade. But I fondly look back at my time at CMT and the incredible opportunity that I had at age 23 years old and 24. A long time ago now. So this week, out of nowhere, CMT comes back into the news because they banned a music video. The John Rawl of CMT of 2023 decided, you know what, we're not going to run this Jason Aldean song anymore because it's controversial. <laughs> we're not going to run Try That in a Small Town a song written by Kelly Loveless, Neil Thrasher, Tully Kennedy, and Kurt Allison. Deeming it controversial because it contrasts rural and urban lifestyles. And this week, CMT, my old employer, a place I love, made headlines because they got woke. They got all woke at MTV Networks. I blame MTV because that's who ended up buying CMT back in the late 90s. And CMT has not been the same since MTV took it over, frankly, because they hardly ever play country music. And they don't play country music videos hardly ever on CMT. It's more of a general lifestyle cable channel. But this week, in whatever way they were playing Jason Aldean's latest song, they, they decided to stop playing it. They got woke at CMT. And that ticks me off. Because I remember, before I ever started working at CMT, the biggest controversy that channel ever had was in 1991. Before I worked there, I'll never forget, there was a controversial music video that came out. And TNN and CMT, which had the same ownership, decided to not play a song called The Thunder Rolls by Garth Brooks because they deemed it too risky because of the spousal abuse. And I think that only made that song blow up even more, which is exactly what's going to happen with Jason Aldean and his new song, Try That in a Small Town. And we're seeing already a tremendous push from conservative circles in support of the Macon, Georgia-born 46-year-old country singer Jason Aldean, who's had plenty of hits already for Broken Bow Records, this might be his biggest one yet. It really might be. You know, he's a guy that hasn't shied away from controversy. He's not afraid to talk back to wokeism and more. And it's already got him. This is, this is probably why this is blowing up, because he already, for the wokeism, has been a bit on the, on the cutting edge. Because he talks back. He and his wife both are pretty vocal. Jessica is her name. And they, they do a good job of, 
of speaking their conservative mind to, to his credit. Now, Jason Aldean also has had tragedy in his life. He was the one on stage during that Route 91 Harvest Festival back in 2017 in Las Vegas where 60 people got killed at a Jason Aldean concert when that gunman shot all those people from the stage. So you got to feel for Jason Aldean and what he's gone through. He's an ACM award winner. He's won CMA awards for album of the year, my kind of party and more. And he keeps putting out great music. And this latest song is number one right now on iTunes at least, but it's not number one at CMT after they got pressure from the politically correct circles to stop running it because of its controversy. It's, I'm going to play the song. I want to tell you that. I'm about to play the song in its entirety because this song is getting a lot of attention this week, but you probably, unless you're tuning into a country music station, you're not hearing it played in its entirety. You're just hearing a clip. So I'm going to play the, the whole song in a second. But it is a new song from a new album, and that is always fun to hear. But CMT decided to kill it because this video for the song shows footage of Black Lives Matter protests and the lyrics start out with like being sucker punched on the sidewalk, which happens. Our own Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, literally got sucker punched at the airport in Philadelphia earlier this year. Got two teeth knocked out by two pair, a pair of hooligans who thought it was fun. And they went off in the shadows and weren't prosecuted because they disappeared in the big city of Philadelphia. But here's a guy from Mississippi that got sucker punched because he was in a big city. You wouldn't do that in a small town. It'd be heck to pay. And because this video, and, and Jason Aldean already this week has come out and said, hey, my music video, there's nothing in there that's not absolutely true. He just shows footage of this mayhem that's been going on, burning flags, tearing down buildings, acting like idiots. And he called it out. He sure did. Good for him. And it's a great sounding song. That's another thing I like. Messages that have, uh, songs that have a message are one thing, but if they actually are just good sounding songs, that's even better. And we're, we're excited that this song is maybe taking country music to a little bit of a conservative edge, at least in the media spotlight now, because it doesn't follow the woke agenda. The View and shows like that have totally gone off on this guy. I heard one of the co-hosts, I think she was on Thursday show, talking about Jason Aldean being from Macon, Georgia. Her dad was from either Macon or Augusta, and she talked about how racist those places were. And that's just totally unfair to say that about Georgia. And Jason Aldean, of course, a proud Georgian, but has lived most of his professional career in Middle Tennessee. And the music video for this, again, this is the hypocrisy here. The music video for this song that's out that Jason Aldean has roaring up to the top of the chart. Try that in a small town. It was filmed on the courthouse lawn of the Murray County, Tennessee courthouse in Columbia, Tennessee, which is a lovely place. There are, I would say, more antebellum homes in the Columbia, Tennessee area than just about any places that, that, that I've seen. And I've been a lot of places. 
The reason for that is most southern places that had the really cool old antebellum homes, they got destroyed by the Yankees in the Civil War. I don't know what was going on in Columbia, Tennessee, that the Yankees didn't burn them up like they did in large portions of the South. But the courthouse, originally built in 1946 there on the courthouse square in Columbia, it was replaced in Early in the 20th century, it was replaced. And so the courthouse you're looking at in this music video goes back to the early 20th century. There are still remnants of the 1846 courthouse on display inside the Murray County Courthouse, including the the lamp, the big gasoline-powered lamp you can find there. And they have great photographs and more. It's, it's a very historic town. By the way, Columbia is the home of James K. Polk, one of our great presidents from the South. And there's a museum in Columbia that you can go tour of James K. Polk. I think Columbia, Tennessee was named after Columbia, South Carolina. I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. But it is a, a lovely place. And and Jason Aldean uses that beautiful white courthouse as the centerpiece of his music video. And so there was a, a lynching that happened there in the 1920s. And that was part of the reason people are calling for a boycott of this song. Guess what? This music video is one of many music videos that have featured that same courthouse as a backdrop. I think I heard something about a Hallmark movie that was filmed there. Miley Cyrus has used that courthouse as a backdrop. And now they have to use Jason Aldean as the, as the enemy number one for wokeism. In Columbia, Tennessee. Murray County, M-A-U-R-Y, by the way, if you're Googling it sometime. Good news for Jason Aldean, despite all the knuckleheads coming after him. He's got some good defenders. How about Cheryl Crow, who also lives in the Nashville area? The lady from the Boot Hill of Missouri, who grew up in a small town, Kennett, Missouri. She is out talking about small towns herself. And she comes to the defense as she tweeted her reaction to all this controversy this week. Cheryl Crow saying, I'm from a small town. Even people in small towns are sick of violence. Kennett, Missouri, population 10,200. Cheryl Crow added, there's nothing small town or American about promoting violence. You should know that better in it than anyone having survived a mass shooting. This is not American or small town like it's just lame. Okay. Cheryl Crow takes it to a whole nother turn there. She's a big gun advocate person. I don't know where, I guess Cheryl Crow's trying to come down on both sides here with her tweet. But I'll tell you who was not coming down on both sides. Donald J. Trump, as he came out in defense of what he calls his friend Jason Aldean. He went on his Truth Social account this week saying, Jason Aldean is a fantastic guy who just came out with a great new song, Support Jason All the Way, MAGA! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. That from Donald Trump. Amen, DJT. <laughs> and it's a good song. Like I said, it would be one thing if it was a lame song, which I think Cheryl Crow called it lame. No, no, no. This is a good song, Cheryl. Maybe some of your songs are, are rather lame. Although I can't pick on her. I've still never gotten over the photo of her wearing those leather pants with the Confederate flag, the reverse color Confederate flag. 
It makes me want to stand up and sing Dixie every time I, I see that image, which is not commonly found these days. That's that that image is I think been destroyed, but but look it up sometime. Cheryl Crow Confederate pants or leather Confederate pants or something like that, and you'll see what I'm talking about. I'd like to have a pair of those, by the way. Maybe some worn by Cheryl Crow. Jason Aldean, again, the Georgia singer with this song out. It's currently number one at iTunes. It's caused, for whatever reason, some problems this week. And here on the Y'all Show, I'm going to let you hear it in its entirety. And you can make up, not necessarily the music video, but you can make up your own mind of just how good or bad, or in Cheryl Crow's case, lame, Try that in a small town is because, frankly, y'all, this is about as good as it gets in modern country music because there are some lame songs out there by some of the artists, but this one ain't one of them, Cheryl Crow. Making Georgia a boy, talking about small towns and more right here on the Y'all Show. This is the song that everybody's talking about, and we're playing it right now on the show that shakes the Southland. Suck punch somebody on a sidewalk Carjacking old lady at a red light Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store You think it's cool, act a fool if you like Cuss out a cop, spit in his face Stomp on the flag and light it up Yeah, you think it's tough Well try that in a small town See how far you make it down the road Around here we take care of our own You cross that line It won't take long for you to find out I recommend you don't Try that in a small town Got a gun that my granddad gave me They say one day Going round up Well all that might fly in the city Good luck Try that in a small town See how far you make it down the road Around here we take care of our own You cross that line It won't take long for you to find out I recommend you don't song from Jason Aldean that is causing a little bit of a stir. I think it's uh, causing a stir because it's so dang good. 
good job there. Try that in a small town, tearing up the chart more, and not even CMT can stop that. John Rawl here. This is the Y'all Show. Hope you enjoyed that, and we'll have to keep playing that one because we salute anybody that's got guts. And Jason Aldean had the guts to put that on radio, and guess what? He's going to come out of this smelling like a Georgia peach. I guarantee you. <laughs> well, that wraps up our Friday Free For Y'all this segment. When we come back, we've got a quick hashtag hullabaloo that we're going to pass along, and then later in the hour, we're going to go back to Nashville, not for country music news, but SEC Media Days wrapped up on Thursday. We've got audio from the head coach of the Fighting Gamecocks, Shane Beamer. We're going to hear from him, plus some other Southern sports news, including an update from the Open Championship as we get ready to say goodbye for the week. All that is ahead on y'all. Taking you back to those mid-90s right here on the Y'all Show, getting you ready for the weekend. We are the program that is all Southern, and we have something that we call hashtag hullabaloo that keeps our Southerness alive and well, and this is where social media activity about the South magically comes to us here, and our staff brings it to me, and we relay it to all y'all. And so we start off this segment of Hashtag Hullabaloo with a tweet coming in from Deborah Lee Scott, at Deborah Lee Scott, a writer, playwright, vocalist, filmmaker, publisher, activist. The website HiddenRiverArts.com is where you can find out more about Deborah Lee Scott. And this is the tweet that Deborah Lee has put out this week that caught our staff's attention here at Y'all. And it has a little bit of a New Orleans flair to it as the tweet says from the time i was a young girl i've felt drawn to the south especially the coastal areas of the carolinas and georgia and the mysteries of new orleans so i love getting recipe collections like this one to create a southern feel to my life now unfortunately she did not include a recipe at least i didn't see it on her tweet but deborah lee scott brings up a great, great point about how awesome our coastal areas are in both Carolinas from the Outer Banks. Go up there, the history of the Outer Banks. You've got not only a lovely beach to play around in, but you go up to Kitty Hawk. you got where the Wright brothers flew their plane. 
I don't know if there's a museum. There ought to be if there's not one. But Andy Griffith used to live in Manteo in that northeastern corner of North Carolina. If there's not a museum, I'm sure there's a lot of memories of him scattered around that part of North Carolina. Then you work your way down from the Outer Banks and you got the Crystal Coast, which I love that portion. Moorhead City, Beaufort, North Carolina is just just magical. A great option. If you've never been to the North Carolina beaches, those are those are just good ones. And they got a lot of history there too with Civil War battles that happened back in the war trying to capture Wilmington, North Carolina. There's the battleship USS North Carolina. I'll never forget. My first visit there was when I was around five years old. And I said they had a nighttime presentation. I, I've, I've never forgotten that. Battleship North Carolina there in Wilmington. You got Wrightsville Beaches there, which is, is just, just really cool. And then as you work your way down to the South Carolina border, you got Calabash. Love Calabash shrimp, and you can find all that in North Carolina. Then you sneak across that border into the Palmetto State. You got North Myrtle Beach there on the coastline, home of one Vanna White. And then you get on down to Myrtle Beach with about 100 golf courses if you're into golf. You'll find all that in the Myrtle Beach area. The pavilion there, the, the shag music of the Grand Strand. Deborah Lee, we're on to something here. <laughs> and then as you keep going south in South Carolina on the coast, you can go down to where I used to vacation as a kid, which would have been Garden City Beach, some 15 minutes south of Myrtle Beach. Great little community. Had a great time going to the arcade as a kid. Every summer I'd spend... 80% of my free time in the arcade. The other 20% would be out at the pool and then in, in the ocean, too. We had a pier there. It's, it's really cool. Good memory. Thank you. My parents for taking us down there most summers. And then you keep working your way south. You got some of the great beaches around Georgetown and uh, Allendahl. Uh, I guess uh, Fripp, Fripp Islands there. And you keep on working your way down toward the Charleston area is a is a incredible place. Of course, spent many a summer at the Isle of Palms while I was going through summer school in college, and love IOP, love the Wild Dunes Resort that's there. At one time, I think Reba McIntyre had a place at Wild Dunes. Kyle Petty too, and then you got the great Sullivan's Island over across Charleston Harbor. You got Morris Island and and Folly Beach, then Kiowa, and of course Charleston itself, while not technically on the beach, is right there at it. And once again, Charleston named the best place in the world to go, according to Condé Nest Magazine. Y'all want to go with me? Should we take our show on the road for a while? <laughs> Maybe just stay in Charleston? Love the low country. And then as we wrap up our coastal South Carolina experience, you go down south of Charleston, you got... Edisto Beach, which is a awesome place for South Carolinians to go vacation. Then you've got Fripp Island. I may have messed up here. Fripp Island is is, is around Beaufort. And Debadu is what I was trying to think of around Georgetown, as well as you've got the Paul, Pauly's Island, home of the Pauly's Island hammocks, also in the Georgetown, South Carolina area, north of Charleston, then south of Charleston. Down in the Buford area, you got Fripp, and then you go south of there, you got Hilton Head and 
Bluffton and Beaufort. And then if you're really lucky, you can go over there to that barrier island that's uh, being developed now. And that is a a pristine place just across from Hilton Head Island. And I haven't been there, so I'm not going to talk about it. But, yeah, South Carolina and North Carolina coastlines are awesome. Thank you, Deborah Lee Scott, for reminding of that, that of us. And then you also point out how the mysteries of New Orleans are so incredible. As Deborah Lee Scott is a writer, playwright, and vocalist, she ought to know. And you can go to New Orleans and experience your own mysteries if you will. But love the tweet. Love the reminder of just how special this region is with our coastlines and our cities like New Orleans with the charm and the history and the the spookiness too. <laughs> we got it all right here in Dixie and we aren't afraid to talk about it on the Y'all Show. We're going to wrap this Y'all Show up for the entire week when we come right back. Speaking of South Carolina, the head coach of the flagship university of that state was at the podium in Nashville on Thursday as Shane Beamer helped everybody conclude SEC Media Days for the week. We're going to hear from the likable coach, talk about his program and more, and we've got other sports news of the day, including an update from the Open Championship as golf's final major is underway at Royal Liverpool in England. We'll have all that information, plus a conference in the South has just changed its athletic name. What? Are they getting woke there in the CAA? I'll have an update on all that as we close out our show and have From Dixie With Love all headed your way after this break. We want to hear you here at Super Talk 93.1 on shows like The Y'all Show, The Patriot Pastor, and The Frankie Lack Show. We've got a text line that you can text us and participate in the program. That number is 731-410-7560. And the Super Talk 93.1 text line is powered by See Me Tree Service. They are a West Tennessee-based company, and they will help you with any of your tree removal problems, tree trimming, tree elevation, pruning, tree topping, stump grinding, and more. They're a small family-owned business that's licensed and insured, and you can call See Me Tree Service for a free estimate. Call them at 731 617 2236 see me tree service for all of your tree removal or tree issues going on give them a call for that free estimate 731-617-2236 see me tree service powering the super talk 93.1 text line And a cockle-doodle-doo to all y'all. We are the Y'all Show, powered by y'all.com. And that the fight song of the South Carolina Gamecocks as we wrap up this Y'all Show Friday edition with more info coming in out of Nashville. Shane Beamer, head coach of the Gamecocks, was at the microphone Thursday promoting his program, a team last year that had quite a run there at the end of the season found themselves playing in the Gator Bowl for the first time since 1987. 
played Notre Dame and ended up collapsing at the end, losing that one. But still, overall, a successful 2022 season for the Fighting Gamecocks. And Shane Beamer is wanting to continue the momentum in 2023. We're going to go now, as we heard earlier in the Y'all Show, from Josh Heupel and Lane Kiffin as Tennessee and Mississippi were at the podium on Thursday, wrapping up SEC Media Days in Nashville. Shane Beamer also there, the third part of the trio speaking at Media Days Day 4. Now let's go in and hear Beamer talking at the podium, and he starts out with a big question about how his team wrapped up the regular season last year, walloping a very good Tennessee volunteer team in Williams-Brice Stadium, and then backing that up with a huge win over Clemson in Death Valley, Clemson, South Carolina. Yeah, uh, those are two uh, monumental wins for us. There's no question about it. I was telling somebody earlier, I mean, proud of the fact that coming off that win in Columbia against Tennessee, to not just go on the road the next week and and win, but to be down 14 nothing on the road to Clemson and come back and win that game, that's what I'm so proud of because human nature would have been to say, well, it's just not our day. You know, we had a great week, great game last week in Knox in, in uh, Columbia, and we're down 14 nothing. but, man, we got that win. We're good. No, our guys battled back. So, to me, the mental toughness and the fortitude that our guys showed that day uh, was awesome. And it absolutely has springboarded us in a lot of ways. The momentum that we took from the month of November into recruiting and into 2023 within our facility, but then outside the facility from a recruiting standpoint and just national narrative uh, without a doubt. But also we understand we we got a lot of work to do too. You know, we, yes, we had those two great wins, but we're also, that's the same team that didn't score an offensive touchdown the week before against Florida as well. So uh, we've got to be more consistent starting with me, but certainly there's a lot that you can take from those two games that'll help us going forward. I wanted to ask you about the carry on Joiner. I know your running game is going to be a big uh, part of the development of this football team. You've got four scholarship running backs. He's turned from a quarterback to a wide receiver, made plays for you, and now is going to get a look at running back. Uh, kind of like a, a, one of the great Gamecocks, Debo Samuel. But talk about his unselfishness to move and, and his development as a player and how big a part of the offense he could potentially be this year. Yeah, he's going to be a huge part of it. First of all, on was here with me last year, and I brought him because he embodies everything being a Gamecock is about and easily could have been here again today as well. He's a fantastic leader and representative of our program. He's, he, he's literally done everything uh, on our team in his career. Uh, you know, going back – you watch him because we used him some last year in some wildcat quarterback situations. I think he had two rushing touchdowns against Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken. But they were plays where you showed, he showed a skill set, making somebody miss in space, lowering his shoulder and trying to get north-south downhill on somebody. Uh, so he showed that he has ability as a running back. So honestly, the conversation was before spring practice. In spring practice, we only had two scholarship running backs on our entire team going into spring practice. So I just met with the carry on just to talk about, would you be open to just less utilizing you at the running back position a little bit this spring, not wholesale change, but let's just dabble in it and uh, be an opportunity, another way for you to get on the field and help your career after college as well, potentially. And I think maybe he was a little reluctant, but decided to do it and couldn't be more excited that he did. And I think he'll tell you the same thing. He showed great, natural uh, ability as a running back 
He's going to help us there along in other areas on our team. He and I were actually at a uh, charity event in Charleston the other night, uh, raised money. All the coaches in the state of South Carolina come together to raise money for charity. And uh, DeCarion was there with me, and they had a Q&A with the players where he came up on stage, and the MC introduced him as a receiver. And he immediately got the microphone and told the whole room, I'm a running back. So he's, he's bought into it and, and has embodied it and can't wait to watch him carry the football for us this year, along with our other running backs. All right. Shane Beamer at Nashville on Thursday talking about his team, including DeCarion Joyner, who's entering his sixth season in Garnet and Black, the North Charleston native Fort Dorchester High School alumnus and Great to hear Coach Beamer talk about going to that charity event in the Low Country and and Joiner correcting the audience member. No, 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 I'm not a wide receiver. I'm a running back. So I'm a, I'm excited to watch what he can do. I remember when he was the starting quarterback for this program a couple of years ago. And as Beamer talked about, he got a chance to be a Wildcat QB a le- a little bit in 2022. And of course, with Spencer Rattler primarily leading the Gamecock offense, the offense for USC the one in Columbia, that is. Other college football news. The CAA, forever we've known it as the Colonial Athletic Association. They've had teams like in football, Richmond is part of that. They've got teams, James Madison was a longtime member of that before they've moved up. In basketball, the CAA has had teams like UNC Wilmington. They've got the College of Charleston. They've got teams in other uh, James uh, George Mason was a member at one time. The CA <laughs> they've changed their name. The CAA is now the Coastal Athletic Conference. So no more CAA. It's going to be according to this the CAC Coastal Athletic Conference. This conference stretches at least for basketball from Charleston all the way up to Boston, as the Northeastern Huskies are part of this conference. Campbell, the Camels are part of this, as well as Hampton, the Pirates, and more. The CAA, which has its roots back to 1979, changing its name, I would say mostly because they're trying to get away from using that name Colonial. Remember, George Washington University has just dropped that nickname for their school for whatever stupid reason, but they're they're also citing they're changing this name because of their footprint not necessarily being in the colonies anymore. They're they're going in I don't know. From Colonial Athletic Conference now to Coastal Athletic Conference. C A A renamed. Just just makes no sense. From that same colonial portion of our South, we've got a headline coming from the NFL. The NFL owners unanimously on Thursday approving the sale of the Washington Redskin football team commanders as the team will no longer be Daniel Snyder's team. It's been sold to a group led by Josh Harris. The Harris Group paying $6.05 billion. That is a record amount paid for a North American sports franchise. Snyder had been the majority owner of the Redskins, then football team, then now commanders since 1999. And frankly, his stubborn will to hold on to that Redskins moniker is a big part of why the NFL ended up turning on him. I'm proud of Daniel Snyder. He didn't want to go woke until the whole George Floyd stuff happened. I think that team would still be the Redskins, but like a lot of other crazy things in 2020, Snyder fell on the sword. 
and that team changed its name, and it's not the same, in my opinion. And I don't think Redskin fans would feel the same, would agree with me on that one. Let's give you an update on the world of golf. An amateur has a tie for the lead, and Jason Nall was absolutely right when he came on Thursday's show to help us preview the Open Championship. Amateur Christo Lamprecht, he tied for the lead alongside Fairway Jesus, Tommy Fleetwood, and Emiliano Grillo. All of those guys tied with a 5-under 66 after the first round played on Thursday. And this guy, the amateur Lamprecht, is a Georgia Tech golfer. He's a senior, and we are going to keep an eye on him throughout the weekend as the Open Championship Golf's final major of the year going on right now at Hoy Lake in England, right outside of Liverpool. So Tommy Fleetwood, Lamprecht, and the Argentine golfer Grillo leaders in the clubhouse after day one and day two, most likely already in the books by the time you're catching this. We have wrapped up the Y'all Show for this week. Thank you ever so much for tuning us in. Our podcast available in Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, also Apple iTunes and Apple Podcasts, also at y'all.com. Until we see you back here on Monday, I'm John Rawl, thanking you so much for listening to Y'all Talk with an accent on all things Southern. <laughs>